dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Aaron. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we present another episode from our listener library, featuring suggestions from you, our mysterious listeners. Daryl writes, I came across your podcast shortly before Christmas and have been neglecting my loved ones ever since. I really enjoy listening to the old shows and especially enjoy listening to your analysis afterwards. You guys sound like you are just having fun and it really makes it worth listening to. I've been especially pleased at how you look at radio shows from around the world, including my home here in Canada, Porchlight, anyone? My favorites are always the suspense, horror, mystery shows, and especially ones set in a more futuristic or space setting, such as Hostess, Episode 19, or The Velt, Episode 4. Is there any chance you could do something adapted from a Philip K. Dick story? He's my favorite author. Well, of course we can, Daryl, and my choice of adaptation is Colony from X-1. X-1 premiered on NBC April 24, 1955. The first 15 episodes were recycled scripts from Dimension X, a short-lived science fiction anthology from 1950. But the rest of the series was comprised of new adaptations of stories by leading science fiction authors of the day, as well as original scripts from NBC staff writers Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts. During its three-year run, X-1 produced 126 episodes, including stories from Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, Isaac Asimov, and of course, Philip K. Dick. In 2007, The New Yorker described Philip K. Dick as the California-raised and based science fiction writer who, beginning in the 1950s, wrote 44 speed-fueled novels, went crazy in the early 70s, and died in 1982, only 53. A cruel but accurate assessment. Despite winning the Hugo Award for his 1962 novel The Man in the High Castle, Dick spent most of his professional career in a state of near poverty. As the years passed, his stories became less commercial and focused more on metaphysics, theology, and drug abuse. Ironically, it wasn't until his death in 1982 that Hollywood began to express an interest in his work, beginning with Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, loosely based on Dick's 1968 novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and continuing with films like Total Recall, Minority Report, and A Scanner Darkly, as well as Amazon's recent television adaptation of The Man in the High Castle. Today's story, Colony, is based on the short story of the same name first published in the June 1953 issue of Galaxy Magazine. It was included in Dick's 1955 short story collection, A Handful of Darkness, as well as the 1977 collection, The Best of Philip K. Dick. In an introduction to the story, Dick made the following observation. The ultimate in paranoia is not when everyone is against you, but when everything is against you. What exactly does this mean? The only way to find out is to listen to Colony from X-1, originally broadcast October 10th, 1956. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Countdown for blast off. X-5, 4, 3... X minus one, fire.
the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of a future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X, 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 minus, 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 one, Tonight's story, Colony, by Philip K. Dick. The existence of Planet Blue, the fourth in orbit around a G-type sun somewhere in the Aldebaran sector was predicted by spectroscopic analysis and spatio-mathematic equations some 50 years before an exploring mission was dispatched to it. The research team, under Commander Stella Morrison of the Colonial Administration, went into orbit around Planet Blue at 0700 standard sidereal time. Authorized procedures were followed. Aerial photography completed, Commander. Anything show on the plate? Well, Masterson was suspicious of these lines towards the poles, but the angles seemed to be coincidence. They are not artifacts. Glacial faults. Geological survey reports no volcanism. Mm-hmm. The launch is back. Dodge has a landing site pinpointed. Preliminary atmospheric tests look good. There's a 0.7 bulge in oxygen, but it's just enough to make you feel good. Looks like an open-air job. No pressure suits or a condenser, man. Well, that's precisely what they thought on Centauri 1. And the whole expedition was wiped out by spores. Of course, I was assuming a favorable biocheck. Mm-hmm. Preliminary photographic survey, Mr. Wood. Thank you, Dodge. Do you want them played back here? We have them transcribed the tape. If you please, Lieutenant. 393. Al, pipe the photo tapes up here on, um, 324. Mm. Looks like a green world, all right. Punch up the tape, if you please, Lieutenant. All orbital checks prove positive. The atmosphere and gravity earth normal to three places on the Grayson scale. And the exploratory research ship lowered itself by the Meyerson Lay atmospheric skip method came into a stall tail landing just before sunset on a day marked in the launch as planet fall zero. The hatches remained sealed as a two-mile perimeter was scanned by direct instrumentation. Major Lawrence Hall of Biosurvey reported EEG sweeps to the bridge. Of course, it isn't conclusive. We've run into life forms that didn't broadcast a brainwave at all. The Gryllodont lizard on Ganymede. Skull acted as an effective shielding due to a heavy lead constituent in the body chemistry. Major Hall, I am not interested in a lecture on extraterrestrial zoology. Is there or is there not life within the range of your instruments? I'm sorry, Stella. The readings show no electrical brain activity whatsoever, and that covers life down to the level of invertebrates. There may be a few worms turning out there, and unless they are thinking awfully hard about something, we wouldn't pick them up. Well, thank you. I want preliminary drones out for sampling. How long do you think that will take? Well, a thorough job, take about two weeks. I have a schedule, Major. How long do you can give me a protective schedule C clearance? Two days. And I ought to check airborne spores and microorganisms. Carry on, Major. All right, Stella. I'll let you know if I turn up any, uh, special diseases on planet Blue. Drone sample missiles were dispatched at sunrise. 
Air scoops, ground samplers, and vegetation choppers returned to base, and the bio team instituted full prescribed tests. Immediately identifiable airborne dangers were ruled out. Outside of the possible allergenic action of pollens, Planet Blue was ruled safe for normal exploratory procedures, and the real work of the survey was gotten underway. Here's the morning report, Commander. Four in sick bay, three ordered to light duty. What happened? Well, last night was liquor ration. Oh. Survey teams out in the field. Fire crew under Major Hall. Agronomy, ecological, geological, and deep map teams out. Any reports back? Deep map seems to think there's petroleum over to the north, and agronomy reports if you dropped a seed in this soil, you'd have to jump back to keep from being knocked over by the plant. Mm, sounds pretty good. Commander, blue is about as likely a spot for colonization as has been turned up since Harvey's planted in 27. Well, they'll be glad to hear that in Central. How long do you think until we can send back the clearance? I've checked with department chiefs. They all estimate about two or three days more until they're satisfied. All except bio. Well, why is Major Hall dragging his feet? I don't know. Well, find out. And in the meantime, I'm going to call a staff meeting. Every day we can say when our report is important. If blue is suitable for colonization, I don't want to waste a minute. Plus three weeks, all departments had reported favorably except biology. Ecological survey pointed out the difficulty involved in the necessity of importing animal life. But this problem had already been met in the colonization of Gamma 2 and 3, when an entire ecology had been transported in frozen gene banks and fertilized and incubated on the site. Biology, however, still withheld a favorable report. Look, Larry. What is the secret, Stella? Cold formality on the bridge and Larry when you're in my lab? Well, I'm serious. Well, I've just gotten an official query from Central. They want to fish or cut bait on blue. Your department is the only one holding it up. We're two weeks behind schedule. And the first colony on Vishnu was right on schedule and 7,000 died of green spots. That was before the full biotech technique was worked out. My dear, do you know how many different microorganisms there are in a cup full of dirt? I'm not a freshman student of biology. Oh, dear. And I was hoping I could tempt you into some uh, field work. Someday, Larry, you're going to make some remark in front of some junior officers or even enlisted personnel, and I'm going to have to call you on it. Afraid for your dignity, my dear? Look, I'm in charge of this expedition. My dignity happens to be a function of command, and as such, it's a survival factor. Ah, well, then you had better take it easy at officers' mess. You know, I saw two biomates watching you, uh, climbing the ladder to the bridge. Do you know what their affectionate name for you is? Major Hall. <laughs> I'm serious. I want a bio clearance as soon as possible. And you will get it. As soon as possible. And when will that be? When I'm satisfied. Are the bugs here so dangerous that you're afraid of them? No, on the contrary. We have yet to find the harmful life forms. Well, you didn't report that. If there are no harmful life no forms... No life. Then... No disease germs. No malignant virus. Well, then what are you waiting there for? There should be. There should be at least one little fellow who could give you a common cold. Look, sociology section found no native narcotic plant life. And inasmuch as there is no humanoid life, there is no bootlegging, gambling, immorality, and pornography either. By analogy, that would be a good reason not to colonize. Is that the idiotic logic you're following? Microbiology is a little different, Stella. And anyway, what is the rush? Boo is something different. There's something peaceful in the air. Why rush to bring picnickers who will drop candy wrappers and fill the pools up with empty beer cans? Larry, I have a planned board conference in ten minutes. If you don't bring in some kind of a report by then, I'll have to supersede you under a Section 23. Ah, yes, that's 
what happened on Vishnu, isn't it? Followed by green spot, and the wagons dragged the corpses out of the colony street. Never mind that, Major. I want a report. In the biology section lab, Major Lawrence Hall continued to examine tissue samples from lower fauna and flora samples brought in from Planet Blue. He settled a container of prepared slides and flipped the switch on the electron microscope. Major Hall slid the first slide on the stage of the microscope and adjusted the focus knob. Come on, come on, come on. Huh, there you are. All right, come on, kid, eat something. The microorganisms, a form of rotifer, displayed none of the characteristics of ferocity and aggression which were normal on several dozen other planets. Presently, however, Major Hall stopped whistling. Inasmuch as the two eyepieces of his microscope twisted suddenly around his windpipe and started to strangle him. All tore But they dug relentlessly into his throat, steel prongs closing like the claws of a trap. With a convulsive effort, he managed to break free and fling the microscope from him. Oh, oh that's crazy. Better let go of my leg. He kicked the microscope loose and drew his blanket. As the microscope scuttled away, rolling on its coarse adjustment knob, he fired. The microscope disappeared in a cloud of metallic particles. The plans board of the research team was assembled in the officer's library. Commander Stella Morrison was outlining plans on a detailed aerial survey map. This non-flat area is ideal for the actual city. It has an adequate watershed in the hills here... And weather conditions vary sufficiently to give the settlers something to talk about. There are large deposits of various minerals. The colonists can set up their own factories. They won't have to do any importing. Over here is the biggest forest on the planet. If they have any sense, they'll leave us. But if they want to make newspapers out of it, that's not our concern. Now, all reports are in except bio. And I think that before long, we'll be getting... Major Hall, may I remind you that when the council is in session, no one is permitted to interrupt... Come to my lab. Look, Hall, if you're not feeling well, uh, you look a little sick. Yes, well, I should be. My microscope just tried to strangle me. Oh? Oh, I see. It almost got me, but I blasted it. But that's not the worst. It isn't? No. The microscope is still there. After I blasted it, I found it under the lab bench. Untouched. Look, Major, uh... You sure you don't need a psych test? Well, I, I, I don't know. I suppose it does sound a little... You look post-trauma to me. Huh? Oh. Well, you're right. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Commander. Put Major Hall on psycho report. I think we'll have to proceed to order colonization here without him. Major Hall proceeded to Psych Center and inserting his ID card in the robot Neo Rorschach machine, he placed his hands on the contacts and activated the searching Gestalt circuit. Presently, the green light flashed, indicating tentative diagnosis. Major Hall hit the response key. Severe disturbance. Instability ratio above 10. And that's over danger, isn't it? Yes. 8 is danger. 10 is unusual, especially for a person of your index. Your norm is four. Yeah, I know. 
I require more data to determine whether this unusual instability ratio is an aberrant reaction or is normal survival oriented. Well, I can't tell you anymore. It is illegal to hold back information during a robo-site test. You will deliberately distort diagnosis, which is punishable by six-month forfeiture of pay and allowances, or such other penalty as a court-martial may direct. Uh, thanks a heap. Now, look, do you record a high degree of unbalance for me? There is a high degree of psychic disorganization. But what it signifies, or its etiology, I am unable to determine without further data. Mm. Okay, well, just take a tip from me. Stay away from homicidal microscopes. That is an interesting Freudian slip. You undoubtedly mean homicidal maniac, not microscope. This indicates a possible maladjustment in the area of your specialty. Well, why don't you go grease your head? I will consider that suggestion. Major Hall returned to the biosection lab and tested the atmosphere near the place where he had fired his blast gun at the microscope. The analysis showed a high density of metallic particles colloidally suspended in the air. In a state of confusion, with an emotional distress quotient of at least 0.742, he stripped off his uniform and entered the shower. Oh. Uh. Oh, well, you can't expect anybody to believe a story like that. I must be off my water. Major Hall stepped out of the shower, reached for one of the towels on the rack. <laughs> the towel wrapped around his head and yanked him against the wall. Rough cloth pressed over his mouth and nose. He fought wildly, pulling away. All at once, the towel let go. Major Hall crawled out of the shower and proceeded to dress. His belt, heavy canvas with reinforced metal links, tried to get him around the waist and crush him. The belt, being a heavy-duty issue, was strong, and they rolled on the floor until Hall was able to reach his blaster. He threw himself down in a chair to regain his breath. The arms of the chair started to close around him, but this time he was ready. Major, I don't believe you were announced. Look, Commander Stella. Your arms. You know the regulations for... I'm sorry, Stella, this is important. Well, what do you want? I have a report here from the robo-psych tester. It says you've hit a ratio of 10 within the last 24-hour period. We've known each other for a long time. Larry, what's happening to you? Stella, I told you. A little while ago, my microscope tried to strangle me. Then when I was getting out of the shower, a bath towel tried to smother me. I got by that. And while I was dressing, my belt... Wood, in here on the double. And I finally blasted that. And then an armchair beside... Yes, Commander. Stand by a moment. Stella, will you listen to me? This is serious. Ordinary objects suddenly turning lethal. Maybe this is what we've been looking for. Maybe this is... Your microscope tried to kill you? I told you, its stems got me here around the windpipe. No one else saw this happen? No. I blasted it, and then I found it again perfectly all right. I see Wood. Yes, ma'am. Get two guards and take Major Hall down to Captain Taylor in Bay. Have him confined until he can be sent back to Terra for examination. Listen, Stella... Sorry, Major. You can't prove this story, and we'll just have to assume it's a psychotic projection on your part. And we can't afford to have any psychotics running around loose on this planet. Wood, carry on.
He'll be all right, Hall. Huh? Back on Earth, they can clear a thing like this up in a few weeks. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just out of my mind. Here we are. Captain Taylor! Captain Taylor! He should be in. Captain! The hatch is locked. Taylor! What's the matter? That scatter rug is choking him. Oh, quick before he crushed. Grab that rug! Captain Taylor tells me the rug came from terror. His grandmother braided it. That's what I was trying to tell you. It was not the rug that attacked them. Then what was it? Something that, that looked like this rug. And it was something that looked like a microscope that went for me. And the towel and the belt. You mean there's, there's some life form that, that can imitate anything? Yes, it seems so. And it's deadly. Charlie, general alarm. Get up out of that sack. Hey, what'd you do with my gloves? Oh. Hey, where'd I get two pairs? Well, maybe you mean you might... No. One pair of gloves is the same as the other. Hey, these gloves are moving. How do you like that? These fool gloves are going for my blast pistol. Charlie, is this one of your crazy electronic gags? Did you rig my gloves? Hey, look out for that pistol. Look out! There's uh, another casualty. Lieutenant Don. What happened? I don't know. He seems to have shot himself. Oh, no. Stella. Stella, I think that I have something. Dodge is dead. Look, we know that this thing can camouflage itself. It can imitate any object it leans up against. All right, now, listen to this. Mary, we've got... This to... is the answer. It's a tape from Captain Galt. He was out on bio-survey. He had a throat mic on. He was talking to the operator at base. Now, listen to this. some organic form of life, and there should be somewhere to destroy it. We've already blasted a few, but we don't know how many more there are. Maybe it's an infinitely divisible substance, some kind of protoplasm. We've had over 12 casualties reported, and there's still five teams out in the field. All right, it's a lethal life form. Now, that explains why we found everything else harmless. Nothing could compete with this 
We have mimic plants of our own, the uh, twisty slug on Venus, but nothing that goes this far. It can be killed, though. You said that yourself. If it can be found. You can't tell. Clothes, rugs, drapes, chairs. We can't tell which is which. We've got to try to find some poison, some spray that will destroy them wholesale. Oh, no. What's the matter? In the corner. I never noticed two briefcases over there before. There was only one. I I think. How are we going to know? Shortly after the final casualty report of 30 dead and 12 wounded, Major Hall sealed off the bio quarters and moved in with a team from chem section, all dressed in corrosive resistant suits. Well, I'll make sure that you've got a tight seal on the neck joint. What do you then do, Major? I've got a combination of hydrogen and arsenic under pressure, barfine gas. That'll give us an idea how much they've infiltrated. Barfine is deadly to humans, so check your helmet. Now, bargain. I don't want any panic blasting. Barfine is inflammable. All right. Release the valve. Plasm, all right. You could see that when the mimic shape melted. With a cell nucleus as big as your hand, may resemble the simple unicellular protozoa. Of course, gigantic in size compared to microorganisms. Can we spray them? Our find disturbed them. And I suppose enough might kill them. But we haven't got that much. We can't flood the planet. We wouldn't be able to use our blasters, and it's lethal to humans. We'll have to pull out. Stella, I'm afraid you don't quite understand. We can't take the chance of carrying them back to the system disguised as a boot or a towel or, or anything. And they seem to multiply by binary fission. Wouldn't take long to overrun Earth and the rest of the system. If we stay here, they'll pick us off one by one. We could have our sign brought in or some other poison, but that would destroy most of the other life on the planet along with it. Then we'll have to burn the planet clean. Wood. Yes, ma'am. Set up a call to system monitor. I'm going to get the unit off here out of danger. After that, we can work out the best way of cleaning off this planet. You'll run the risk of taking them back to Terra. Can they imitate higher life forms? Can they masquerade as humans? Apparently not. They seem to be limited to inorganic subjects. Then we'll go back without any inorganic material. But our clothes, they can imitate the synthetic fibers, belts, gloves, boots. We're not taking our clothes. We're going back without anything at all. Oh. Oh, I see. Get me a beam to central monitor immediately. The nearest cruiser was two light hours away, Captain Daniel Davis commanding. Tight beam communication was established after coordinates were flashed from central monitor. This is Captain Davis. Can you read me? I read you. Commander Morrison here. Captain, you are to make a planet fall as soon as possible at coordinates to be supplied you. We are going to board your ship naked. Naked? That's right. That's, uh... Well... When will you land? About, uh, 1,500 hours, I'd say. Captain, would it be possible for... for your men to... Uh... I'll have my crew below decks. 
We'll land on robot control. Thank you. Wood, sign off the transmission. Yes, ma'am. There was some objection among the enlisted personnel, particularly in the women's quarters. The ship landed at 1,200 hours, three hours sooner than expected. All hands disrobe immediately. All personnel report to field, ready to embark. So soon? I didn't hear the ship land. It's there, all right. We'd better go. Larry. Mm-hmm. Larry, you go ahead. I'd... I'd rather get ready alone. Parked in the center of the landing field was a cruiser. Its hull pitted and dented by meteor strikes. It lay motionless. There was no sign of life aboard. A crowd of naked people was moving across the field, blinking in the bright sunlight. Commander Stella Morrison, without any sign of rank apparent, paused on the ramp and spoke to Major Lawrence Hall beside her. Mary. Yeah? What is it? I'm scared. Why? I don't know. Psychological reaction. Forget it. It's a reaction to nudity carried over from uh, early childhood. Come on, we're holding up the line. Mary, I want to go back. <laughs> Stella, look. Now, at least there's a skeptic promise. There are no enlisted men lining the hatches to enjoy the uh, view. It's dark in there. There's nothing to worry about. Come on. Up you go. of the research team filed into the interior of the ship. And the hatch closed behind them. At exactly 1,500 hours, Captain Daniel Davis landed his ship in the center of the field. Automatic relays opened the main lock hatch and lowered the ramp. Davis and his staff sat in the control cabin waiting. Well, how do you like that? Where are they? Well, maybe the whole fool thing is a joke. We've waited an hour already. They waited. And waited. But no one came. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. With this month's features, Double Dare, by Robert Silverberg, which demonstrates that pride can lead to much worse than a fall. It can put a man out on a limb and keep him there. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Colony, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Philip K. Dick and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in the cast were Frederica Chandler, John Larkin, James Stevens, Larry Robinson, Bill Quinn, and Alan Bergman. Your narrator was Norman Rose. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production.
was The Colony from X-1 here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a listener request from our library of listener requests that we're uh, foraging through this summer. I don't think that's the right word, but uh, <laughs> we're forging through. Foraging through would mean we're eating them. Trying to find food yes. to live. And that came from who again? Daryl. Daryl recommended that to us. Uh, tell us why you picked this one. Well, I wanted to pick something from the Golden Age, and there really are only two adaptations, both from X-1. It's this story and another one called The Defenders. And I just think overall we see more of what will become the hallmarks of Philip K. Dick's later work embedded in this short story, and I thought it was more representative of Philip K. Dick. However, I do want to make the disclaimer for anyone who's not familiar with Philip K. Dick that the rather bizarre sequence of just blatant sexual harassment (laughs) (laughs) is a total add-on by Ernest Canoy, who adapted it, who usually does a really killer job. There's none of that in Philip K. Dick's short story, and it's kind of ironic because Philip K. Dick is not known for doing really complex female characters. Generally speaking, he has like a nagging female character and a siren female character who leads you to death. And so he's often been criticized for that. And then he has a short story like this where he just has a female character as the commander of this expedition. And then Ernest Canoy kind of ruins it. <laughs> right. By adding those whole sequences where the guy's just going, my dear, and mm-hmm. talking about what she looks like climbing up a ladder. And <laughs> It's interesting to find out that that was added. First of all, I really loved the character of the woman. Major Hall. Yeah, and very cool, especially for the time and all those things we talk about a lot. And then you get to the point where that guy's harassing her and being a jerk, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's on purpose to motivate her dismissiveness of him when he comes back to her and says, the microscope attacked me. If he was not like that to her, if he was likable, if there wasn't that adversarial establishment of that, then perhaps she might have said, what now? Take me in there and show me. But because would you when someone says they were attacked by a microscope? But it still helps the story along in the sense that, first of all, we hate the guy. And second of all, it explains her dismissiveness Mm -hmm. of, okay, all right, why don't you go lay down? You're crazy. Press the psych button. (laughs) Yeah, press the psych button and get the psych robot in here because you're crazy. She might have been more willing to listen, Mm -hmm. and I think it's on purpose to set that up for that situation. You could be right there. One of the things I find interesting, though, is she articulates a really almost feminist argument when he is asking why she's always so cold and formal. And she basically makes that argument that as a woman in a position of leadership, that her dignity is a function of command and as such is a survival factor. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if that's accidental that it resonates to a modern ear that this female character would have to be more professional than the men around her to keep this position um, right. because of the way people would look at her. Again, it's hard to wade backwards in time and figure out intent. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to sidetrack us on that because it's a, a little blip and right. you read it one way, but I, I did want to point out in defense of Philip K. Dick that, that, <laughs> that he and, and ironically that. has some other egregious things in his <laughs> other work, but it's like, oh, this was a story without it. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do think it actually helps propel that moment of her not listening to him mm-hmm. and makes us not like him and makes us root for the microscope to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, towel. Come on, towel. <laughs> Take him down. I would swear I have read a comic book adaptation of this story. 
That is so weird you just said that because, because I Eric wrote, wrote a comic I book. Did, oh, here it is. <laughs> Happy birthday. Um, because I wrote, <laughs> I'm about to geek out. It reminds me of a Star Trek animated series plot. <laughs> a specific one or just feels nope, like? not specific at all. But the thing's coming to life because the microorganism is uh, shape-shifting. And can you not vision the Star Trek animated series that happening? Just don't want to visualize the end. <laughs> no, not the end. <laughs> or wait, maybe I do. So it reminds you of a comic book adaptation of something of this. I, I remember there was a comic book series, it was Twisted Tales. It was a little independent comic book series back in the 80s when I was collecting. And there was a sci-fi title that went along with that that I would swear this was adapted in that sci-fi title. It might have been. It's a fairly reprinted Philip K. Dick story. And, I mean, according to some things that I read online bastion of truth the internet <laughs> some people identified elements of this original story as being firsts like the robot psychiatrist that he goes and interacts with they cut it for the radio adaptation but there's also a robot door that they have to argue with <laughs> to get into the captain's office in the story which is very like something straight out of douglas adams and so there may have been adaptations you had read but it, it's also that i think he's using a lot of tropes for the first time mm. with the door added to it we're close to peewee's playhouse here <laughs> <laughs> a lot of inanimate objects with names coming yeah. to life. Flory. <laughs> I wanted to... Uh, That's an actual character from Bee-Wee's Playhouse, by the way. The floor was named Flory. Anyway, go on. Um, I really, really enjoyed the writing of this, that the, you are introduced to the characters, and this, I think, is endemic to science fiction, of you just watch them do their jobs. Mm-hmm. There's not any really off-hours conversation, this is who I am, this is what I'm interested in. It, it really just is, this is what I need you to do do it or not do it or Mm -hmm. and it was right about the time when i started thinking like wow all i'm seeing now is just people doing their jobs Mm -hmm. and i'm getting their characters and i'm getting the story Mm -hmm. once i realized it the story transitioned and you start getting conversations and interactions yeah it's interesting the original short story starts with the scene of hall being attacked by his microscope and just sort of takes off from there um but i think you're right it's part of this era of science fiction in the 50s and particularly x minus one love to do the procedural stuff yeah you know to narrate all the information about how they found the planet and all the tasks they need to complete right up at the front of the story yeah x minus one has this cool aspect to it that even though we're in the future and we have all of these fascinating things and we're traveling to other planets that it's just a job yeah it's mundane it's mundane and it's work it's what i've always said about star trek just once i want to push a button and go i don't know it's frozen that i got the spinning <laughs> wheel thing and, you know like everything works too perfectly and there's never a a moment of the things that we struggle with on a daily basis. But they do in X minus one. They're just real people, but they have different sparkly clothes in the future. At least that's what I picture. (laughs) Sparkly clothing. So yeah, naked space party coming, right? I mean, to me, that's what makes this episode. And there's two different reasons for it. I mean, one, it's just sort of shocking. You're like, wait, what? (laughs) There is a bunch of naked space people who just were eaten by an amoeba disguised as a spaceship, and that's how the story ends. Wow. But I also think it works well, besides that shock factor, as a good piece of suspense, because it had me tricked. Mm-hmm. I did not see that end coming. Yeah. It carefully disguised it enough that it played it, fair, and then you know, in the exact moment that he wants you to figure it out, you figure it out. Yeah, not too soon, but not too late. And you got to be focused at that point, not let your mind drift. 
it's gonna happen listening to old time radio like oh right i gotta go get the pizza out of the oven or whatever like <laughs> you know what i mean when your mind drifts unlike television or visual things you can stay focused mm-hmm. it keeps telling you what's going mm-hmm. on yeah with audio and uh, theater of the mind you drift for a second you can be lost right you <laughs> yeah. have to it requires a certain yeah. amount of focus and at that moment i drifted about something <laughs> and i had to go back and say wait 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 what do you mean they never got on the ship so I had to go back, and, oh, I went, okay. and at that point is when I realized how beautifully written it was when they described the ship landing, and it was dinged by all sorts of meteors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took on every element and aspect and detail of what that ship mm-hmm. should look like. And it was and set, that up, was a, earlier it was set up earlier when Hall comments that that microscope functioned like a microscope. Yep. All the clues are laid out. It's almost like a little mystery. He foreshadows all these things. But you also find out there's that scene in here where um, they find like the message from the guy who's taking samples somewhere else on the planet and he gets into his little transport he calls a bucket or whatever and it's, uh, it's an alien but he describes like the digestive fluids and acid burning him. So you get that layered in there and you realize these naked people we're just basically walking in and they are just going to be digested, annihilated by amoeba digestive fluid. So it's a pretty grim ending. And X minus one is mm-hmm. really comfortable, maybe because it's all set in the future, too, of having a satirical, winky tone and then having death mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. as an ending. Yeah. And the amoeba, whatever it is, uh, did a really great job of tricking them into getting naked so he doesn't have to spit their clothing out. <laughs> I mean, so good that they insisted on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Naked space party. Yeah. Even down to the idea that the commander asks that they keep the crew off the deck yes. when they walk in because mm-hmm. they're all going to be naked and just let's be polite. And so that there's another reason for them to walk into the spaceship and not see anybody or not see anyone who mm-hmm. is supposed to greet them. So like all the pieces are set up really well for what is a, a really bizarre old time radio image. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is- yes. I'm in very curious. I know we have at least one listener who has chimed in in the past about biology and evolution mm-hmm. and scientific things like that about this idea of this super predator that has been so effective there's no diseases on the planet. Yeah, which that is a little bit of a plot hole as in if it can only take on inorganic shapes, how would it use its defense on a planet that appears to have nothing but organic life? Yeah. I forgive it because I think ultimately with Philip K. Dick and I might be bringing the other books and stories I've read by him into my way of thinking about it. But this is kind Fill of... Fill that hole! It's, it's a piece of satire. And these aliens function as materialism here. And I think the idea of our things turning on us is at the crux of this story. Mm-hmm. The, the line gets cut but from the original story. Um, the captain who's attacked by the rug that his grandma made him. Mm-hmm. And the original story has this great line where he's like, my grandma made that. I trusted that rug completely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that Why line, would you I, cut that I line? I feel like, Why? I feel like that line tells you what the satire is. Is If we showed up on the planet and it was aliens who attacked us and killed us, we'd be like, well, that's reasonable. But it's like, <laughs> our stuff? Yeah. And there's also the lines where Hall's kind of disgusted at the idea, like, if this gets approved to be a colony planet... He's already thinking about this, the, the stuff, the empty beer cans and the picnic gears right. and the stuff that's going to be brought there. So I think that is the, the point of satire They're going to turn this forest here. into newspapers or leave it where it is. Yeah. Materialism and environmentalism jabs going on in here, too. Yeah. Um, but um, I trust this rug completely is a line that should not have been cut. <laughs> 
Oh, does our store do rugs? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I have to do our <laughs> right. mysterious old radio rug. We will look into that. that. <laughs> I you trust can... this rug completely. <laughs> right. If we can get a rug that says that on it, we'll sell two of them. <laughs> that means one of us is not going to buy one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, any other thoughts, observations? It's, it's, it's totally not the main focus of the story, but I was just so enthralled with the bureaucracy of, like, we're all on board. We're just waiting for bio to do their thing mm-hmm. and the pressure of like, I just sign off on this or do I drag my feet and do the job I'm supposed to do? And at the same time, you get the idea in contrast to that everyday bureaucracy side that real lives hang in the balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not as dire as cold equations, which we listened to a month or so back from X minus one, but it's another story that talks about space travel being super dangerous about if they're wrong, if they take off and bring some of these shapeshifters to earth, that could be the end of earth. I do like how that sits side by side, the, the huge responsibility and the just paper pushing aspect of it. All right, let's bring this to a vote. Tim, this is classic radio sci-fi. I mean, it's almost the definition. It's be the model against which other classic sci-fi must compete. <laughs> so I say classic. This is a personal classic for me of X minus one. I mean, it's a little outside of our podcast range because I mean, it is more satirical, I think, than suspenseful, in my opinion. But I love it to death, and I consider it a personal classic. It has a robot Neo Rorschach machine. How can you not love that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'll disagree with you, Joshua, that uh, I think it falls directly into our podcast. I think it is suspenseful, and I think it's brilliant. And this is X minus one, and I loved it. And I don't. Wow, and right. he usually doesn't like it. I don't one. like. I struggle with X minus one, as you know, and I really enjoyed this for it's every. It's the nudity, week. isn't it, Eric? <laughs> You're like, finally, <laughs> I had to replay that PG thirteen theater of the mind. <laughs> I had to keep going over and over and over again, going back. <laughs> from what tim said i like the mundane the everydayness of the beginning of it i liked how they're just people doing their jobs i like that there's something very silly at first about these things coming to life that became terrifying yeah well, um, like when the guy puts on the gloves and shoots himself so it's like right. this absurdity and macabre at the same time and i love the ending and as we've discovered in the last few weeks you can easily kill a story if you just don't end it at the right time or the right way, no matter how good it's going. And this was ended brilliantly. And that was really unexpected and pretty cool. I would say, just to qualify it a tiny bit, I will say how Tim said it. I think it is a sci-fi classic and mm-hmm. definitely stands the test of time. And one of the better X minus ones from my viewpoint. So there you go. Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is where you'll find other episodes of this podcast. You'll find information about our live shows, and you'll find ways to contact us. There's a little contact form right there if you want to send us a note making a request for episodes you want to hear. I should stop saying that. We have a long list. But if you do have a request, let us know because we'll get to it eventually. Uh, You'll also find uh, links to our Facebook page and our Instagram account. You can also go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast if you are so inclined. Um, We have a lot of great rewards. We have a members-only podcast, The Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio. We're also doing an exciting thing, and we're coming really close to it. Maybe by the time this airs, we will have reached $100 a month, and then we're going to do an episode. And this episode is going to be for everybody, and that is going to be The War of the Worlds, a big double-sized War of the Worlds episode. 
awesome. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna want to hear this, uh, <laughs> listeners. Um, so anyway, uh, check that out. And also, um, if you want to support us in a different way, you can always go to iTunes and write a review because that matters. We have a lot of fantastic reviews. We were up to, I think, at last check, like fifty five star reviews from you wonderful listeners, and we really appreciate. It. Keep it coming. Nice. The next episode is mine, and we're going to be doing another listener request. This comes from Suspense on a Country Road. Until then... Look out! We are going to board your ship naked. Naked? That's right. That's, uh... Well...